Hi, I'm Diana Cohen. I'm the founder and CEO of Crown Affair. What I love about beauty is the power it has to change the way that you move through the world. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Hi, I am Jessica Quick, guest hosting today's episode of Beauty is Your Business. I am joined by my co-host and business colleague, Denise Dente. Hey, Denise. Hi, Jessica. And today we're very excited to welcome Diana to the show. Welcome, Diana. Hi, thank you both for having me. I'm very excited to be here. We are excited to dive into Crown Affair and some of the other amazing initiatives that you have been underway with. So you were on Forbes 30 Under 30, which is a pretty amazing accomplishment You've had your partnerships work with Away. We'd love to understand really how you got into beauty. What has been your journey getting into beauty and then starting Crown Affair? Yeah, I've worked in consumer for the last 10 years. I uh, was really lucky to go to college in New York. So I had a lot of opportunities with internships and jobs and this little thing called the internet was like very much becoming a thing when I was in college. So I went to school in New York dreaming of working at Condé Nast like everybody else and becoming an editor. But by the time that I graduated, the reality of the internet was in the way that we know it now was really starting to become what it is. And my last internship, which turned into a role, was at a then growing but still small beauty blog called Into the Gloss. Pre-Glossier, obviously we all know and Glossier really well now, but you know, it was just a few of us in a studio room on Lafayette Street telling stories about beauty. And I was just a fan of the website before interning there. I loved how they approach storytelling around beauty and how human it could be. You know, before ITG, it was really you'd go to a publication or whatever, People Style Watch, and you could achieve Reese Witherspoon's look on the red carpet. But to actually talk to somebody like Reese and be like, this is the rose water I use from the drugstore or whatever. And it just felt really accessible. And the comment section was my favorite part about it. I would moderate the discuss comment section. This is back in 2012. So the technology is far more sophisticated now in 2021. But, you know, that to me was like the magic of the community was us as humans sharing stories and what worked for us. That's when I just caught the e-commerce bug in general, like beyond beauty, you know, and I've been really fortunate to be, if not the first, one of the first 10 employees at a range of the fastest growing consumer brands from the last decade, whether that was at a mobile shopping app called Spring back in 2013, or as you mentioned, Jessica, at Away, I was the eighth employee there and was head of partnerships and have since worked with brands like Harry's to launch their women's line Flamingo. Outdoor Voices, Buck Mason, which is a men's line, The Wing on their retail. So I just kind of love e-commerce and working with companies that change the way that you see yourself. Absolutely an amazing journey for sure. And so then starting with the internship and Into the Gloss and having this love affair with beauty, what was it that made you move away from being the first of 10 employees to founding your own brand? 
So as you noted, I was really fortunate to be honored with 30 Under 30. That was when I actually had my consulting company, Levitate. So that was pre-launching Crown Affair. So there was a two-year period between leaving away as a full-time employee and launching Crown Affair that I did brand consulting on my own. And that was really my first time as like a quote business owner. It's obviously really different when you're running a consumer business and there's like operations, but it was the business of, you know, selling myself and my knowledge. So, you know, setting up an LLC, understanding what to charge, putting together scopes of work. That was kind of my first toe dip into being a business owner. And I loved it, but I also knew that I didn't want to build an agency. There was kind of that moment where I was like, do I hire more people and take on more clients? Or like, how do I really want to live my life every day? I've always been obsessed with hair care, like skincare, makeup. I enjoy, I'm very much a no makeup, makeup person. I'm like tinted moisturizer, a little blush, a little highlighter, a little eyeliner, mascara, walk out the door and skincare. I secretly used to like CeraVe and like a couple products, but I have like a three step routine with my skincare now, which is pretty minimal. But my hair care was the thing that like for years I would share what I'm using, tried new products, really followed these brands. I have a very close relationship with my hairstylist from the past 10 years. And it's just been like a huge part of my personal identity. So I would have these organic conversations with friends who felt so disempowered by their hair or like as they were getting older, they would notice changes in their hair or maybe they'd been doing keratin treatments or, you know, straightening treatments. And they're like, I kind of want to figure out what to do. So I put together a list of like the 12 things I swear by for healthy hair in a Google doc. Also with some like high level knowledge of like, hair's a fiber. Like, let's not make this complicated. I think a lot of the hair care brands that lean into science, like you kind of get lost at the words porosity and pH and you go to a customization site and it's like, here's a 30 question quiz. And you don't know the answer to half of these questions because the education around hair, the stylists are so driven by styling and professional that you're not totally given that. So it really requires a lot of effort on the customer to like do the research. So that was where this started is like my document that was like, use a hairbrush this way at this time. And I like this hair oil, but like, I kind of wish it didn't have this in it. And if you're going with something that's more like a hundred percent of an oil, like it might make your hair look great. Like all of these notes that were just me and I very nights and weekends decided to start working on product and figuring out how I could make this a larger universe around hair that just didn't exist in the category. I love that. Being a hairdresser many, many moons ago, I certainly remember trying to talk to customers as I was coloring their hair, again, many years ago, and you'd have these conversations with them and really see their eyes gloss over. They didn't know what I was talking about. I was using a lot of industry lingo. So I really love the fact that speaking to your community and customers from the standpoint of this is what you need to know about hair, and this is how to make yourself look great at home. I think you're answering a real strong unmet need using consumer language. So that is amazing. We'd love to know more about this community because that really is what the core of Crown Affair is about. Can you talk to us a little more about the community? Yeah. By the way, I love that you are a hairstylist. It is, I think, one of the coolest jobs and one of the most intimate jobs you can have. And actually one of my really good friends who's now a comedian on SNL started as a hairstylist and our relationship started talking about 
you know, that relationship you have with your clients. And very long story short, I've been getting my hair dry cut at least the last eight years. So I go in fresh hair, natural texture, and my stylist cuts it. So like, you know, what has happened in the past, you go to the stylist, they shampoo your hair, they cut it wet, they blow it out, and you look really good for like three or four days. And then you try to take care of it on your own. And you're like, why doesn't it look the same? So that was like very much where Crown Affair came out of and making products that like serve you and your hair health and also how it looks on that 60 to 90 day between going to the salon, you know? So to that point, community is why this started. And it is such a core pillar of our brand, whether it is with product development. The first six products we made were totally selfish. I was like, this is what I use. I want to make it better. It doesn't exist in the way that I want it. But as we make more products, for example, next year, we're launching a universal leave-in conditioner. And to work on that, with so many women and men to be like, what do you like? Are you responding to it? What would you change? To me, it's like, why would I launch another product, whether it's a dry shampoo or a leave-in that already exists? And that informs how you communicate with your chemist. So most companies, as you guys know, and people listening who love beauty, you obviously have contract manufacturers and most companies go straight to a CM and they give them options. Like you say, I want to make a shampoo or I want to make a leave-in. And they say, cool, here's six options. Here's a sample. Give us feedback. But to me, and this is what we do, and there are a few really amazing new brands who are doing this as well, working with an outside chemist from that contract manufacturer will lead to so much more innovation and being more nimble in the product development process. So that's what we've been doing with all of our products since day one. And the community, being able to reach out to people and send product, have conversations on the phone, get feedback is key. I'm a really big believer that people want to support what they're a part of creating, whatever industry you're in, whatever you're doing. So bringing people into that process early, whether it's with product development or just, I don't know, retail launches or anything is like how you build a business low and slow over time versus throwing money at paid marketing and trying to acquire customers in a way that isn't sustainable. I really like this conversation around low and slow. I think a lot of people start their business, produce product, even if they do have something amazing and developed a great project brief. I know Jessica and I experienced this with our business is that when you build something, you still have to activate it and you still have to sell it through. And there is a moment in time where when you build it, you still have to go through these steps. So this idea of low and slow and continuing to invest in it is really you know, a key part of long-term success. So take us through a little bit about your philosophy of low and slow. Yes, that is so true. And I think knowing your superpower as a founder or in product development is so key. Like you can't just launch something and then forget about it. You have to continue on. And, you know, one of our philosophies at Crown Affair is fewer, better. We always kind of do the the mock exercise of like, what if we only sold one product? What if we just had one scale? Like what does innovation around storytelling and community and growth look like if we only had one story to tell. So the low and slow process to me, at least we've seen it in like three to six month increments. Beauty is a word of mouth category. Again, it doesn't matter how much you push, what celebrity you have in the campaign. If the product's not good, the product's not good, you know, and people will not tell people about that product. So 
you know, we've been around for less than two years as a business. So all of the data is like very important, but also it isn't that much of a timeline to be like, oh, it's our second holiday ever. So it's like, what happened in our first holiday? That's all we have. But we do see these marks like every three months, just people either repeat ordering when we do customer interviews, which we still do very actively. And I recommend all brands, especially newer ones to take that time to talk to customers, not just get email feedback. We see that word of mouth. I bought the towel for my mom and my sister. And then I told her about the oil and she tried it. I brought it to my my sister's house and I left it there, you know, things like that. Like that is how you really build a business. And man, that takes 10 years. You know, I still think about like the beauty, especially in makeup for me. Like I've been using some of the same makeup brands that my mom really like passed on to me. And I'm now just getting into clean beauty. And I would consider myself like a very educated customer. And I'm now just making that switch. And really the brands that I look to are the ones that have been around for decades. And For us, thinking about distribution strategy, how you reach new audiences, that to me is everything. Sure, it might feel really good if you have like a viral thing on TikTok and you're selling through. But again, those audiences are really mercurial and how they, especially if you're a clean beauty brand or you stand for sustainability, like you really have to do your homework and mean something. And to me, it's way more valuable to take your time across everything. You just see a much better return and a much stronger connection to the business. Absolutely. Denise and I, funny enough, we actually spend a lot of time talking with people about that launch and leave concept. It's a really easy thing to launch something and then leave, not really put the effort behind it. So I'd love to hear if you have some tactics that you're doing at Crown Affair to really make sure when you do launch, because obviously you have a few new products came out this year, how are you really staying behind them? So you aren't investing all of this and then leaving that launch? I think that creating structures internally and process can be so important. So we just launched our shampoo conditioner, just launched, I guess it was like a month ago. So it takes longer than a month for people to fully go through it, but I can't even tell you the amount of reviews, text, feedback, people being like, I didn't realize I was using a detergent-based surfactant system. And by the third wash, my hair is so much softer, so much healthier. So you know, that takes a little time, maybe a partner or friend who's at your house tries the shampoo or conditioner, but we really create structures. We use Asana, not to get too tactical, but we love that tool and we create projects for each of our product launches and we make sure that there's evergreen storytelling around the content, but also again, that three month mark of like looking at the performance, how is this doing? What do we need to lean into? Yeah, it can be really really helpful to look at that and and make those marks in the road to be like, okay, we haven't been talking about this. Let's revisit it. It's absolutely what we see as well is this ability to go out there and then collect the data, even if it's a short period of time and having those milestones and saying, okay, at this point, what is resonating with the marketplace? What are our customers saying about it? Oh man, I never would have thought this would have been one of the key points, but it seems to become one. So let's lean into this. I think that is such a valuable message because it really does get us to focus on that product that's in the market and then listening to the customer so that the community that's a part of all of this is being heard and being listened to and you get all the benefits of really amplifying what it is that they're saying. You know, I think your customer expects you to evolve together. 
negative feedback or feedback on even like how something opens or have them be a part of that journey with you. You know, I think that's really important. And there's little things you could do, changing messaging on your website, adding things like being nimble can be so powerful. So I couldn't agree more. Some of these things that you're mentioning are excellent ideas for folks. Some of them take investment or many of them take investment. So know that you've done some outside fundraising and would love to hear a little bit more about your outside fundraising efforts, how you went about it and what you continue to do. Yes. So when I started Crown Affair, as I mentioned, it was very much like a night and weekends project and I was self-funding it. And I got my first samples for the brush, the oil, the comb, and the towel. And I was able to do that. So I was really excited and optimistic that I was going to be able to self-fund this. And then I saw the estimate ordered for minimum order quantities, MOQs, and I was like, I can no longer fund this myself and also pay my rent. So I started to take investor conversations. The reality is that my background and experience is in consumer venture backed startups. So whether it was an introduction or someone connected us, I was very fortunate to get a lot of meetings, but it was interesting. I had a lot of learnings from these companies I worked at and what it means to over fundraise and what a not great investor relationship could look like. So I was incredibly intentional and I found myself saying no a lot. Like, you know, when you go on a bad date and you like immediately know that the vibe isn't right and you're like, I'm not about to commit. Like, this is it. Like, I'm good. This meeting was fine and we'll keep in touch. And that happened a lot. One of the big things for me was finding an investor for our seed round who had the same philosophies around growth. That is rare in the venture community. People really just look at top line revenue without looking at other metrics around retention, obviously like repeat purchase, engagement, just qualitatively all these things that both things you can measure and also the unmeasurable things about building a brand, like being in a Violet Gray or Goop within the first six months of business. You can throw money on the paid fire if you're paying a million dollars a month and selling a million dollars a month of inventory. It's not nothing, but it isn't super meaningful. So that was the first step is finding investors that aligned on our growth philosophy and really understood the vision in this category and what we're doing for hair care. I am on a deep crusade to change the way that people connect with their hair and just think about hair. And truthfully, what was in the market was pros and function of beauty, which are great companies, but they're very customization, tech driven, all about data. And I was like, I'm creating a line that is the clean version of Orbe and Christophe Robin. I want something that is luxury and beautiful, but more accessible and just more innovative from a formula perspective. And it was hard to find people who really got it. But thankfully, this category has exploded in the last two years, whether it's Olaplex IPOing or honestly, 20 plus more brands launching since we've even launched. And again, we're like not even two years old. So that's a lot of growth in this category in a two year period. We decided to take on 1.7 in our million in our original fundraise. And that really covered everything for the first year and a half, whether it was inventory purchases, hiring the design talent I wanted. I really kind of joked. I always say like I assemble my Avengers team of people and I got my designers, my social people, people I worked with at all these consumer businesses. Our creative director, Shoshibuya, is just such a talented artist and we really put this brand universe together and you got to compensate everybody. So I needed that capital to do it. And 
you know, fortunately when building a website, it's a really different world than it was when Jeff and Andy and the guys at Harry's were building that website or the Warby guys. Like it was a lot more expensive to put things into the world than it is today. So, and it's been great so far. I I recommend it. I think finding like a healthy balance with fundraising can be really powerful. Hey, if you don't have to fundraise because you've had another successful company or whatever it is, then that's a great option as well. But I recommend the landscape has just changed so much that unless you really already have an existing audience and community, if you're a celebrity or something, you can fundraise more, but again, low and slow. Absolutely. And we touched a little bit kind of with some of your previous roles and in some of this fundraising piece that you actually had a pretty nice bench of connections and you were able to really go out to obviously fundraise, but from talking with you and reading some of the other things that you've been a part of, you actually also had quite a bit of mentors, as I understand it. So would love to hear about who some of your mentors are and how you went about getting them in order to build Crown Affair. So I am a huge believer that great people love working with great people over and over again. And even pre-Crown Affair, there's a, a woman I worked with at Spring, Outdoor Voices, and on Harry's stuff. And I'm like, yes, the greatest hit. Let's go. Like you just fall into sync and you can just bring that crew together again. So that was very much what we did at Crown Affair. We obviously have hired a lot of new people I've never worked with before onto the team as well. But that to me is just really important. I think great people want to keep working with great people. And part of that, the mentorships that the mentors I have in my life came through jobs and roles earlier in my career. So the most important, meaningful, special mentor who's a dear friend is a woman named Era Katz. She was my boss at Spring. She was a co-founder and the CMO back in 2013. And she really just took me under her wing and I was totally in the trenches with her building out that storytelling. And she truthfully taught me like everything I know about grassroots marketing and how to think about the world. And she now has a company that she launched a little over three years ago called Seed, which is a symbiotic wellness company. And she's just so brilliant. And I'm so happy that she is in the category. She's great at e-commerce, but like when it comes to science and well-being, like that is her universe that she deeply cares about. And she's given me some of the best advice. And I just saw her a few weeks ago for dinner. We talked about everything. And this is a journey and having relationships and people that you can call, text, meet up with. The mentorship relationship goes both ways. She actually used to call me her her seedling and her company is called Seed, but like she's like, oh, you're my little seedling. That's now the name of our mentorship program at Crown Affair. But those relationships and recognizing that mentees can be so meaningful and valuable for mentors and vice versa. And I think Era and my relationship, we've been friends and have worked together for eight years to see that journey of that relationship develop over eight years. Like she really took a chance on me at 22 and I'm obviously in a different position now and vice versa. So I think the consistency piece is important too. It's not just reaching out to somebody on LinkedIn or connecting through somebody. It's like having a couple interactions with somebody before you're like, I'd love to keep in touch. Like I really respect what you're doing. Even if you're not working with somebody every day, if you find somebody out there whose career you really admire there's ways to engage with them. That's part of why we created Seedling. I feel so grateful that so many young women reach out to us or want to connect. And when COVID hit, 
there was just like a really big influx of it. And we were like, how do we scale this? I would love, if it were up to me, I'd spend my entire day talking to people. And, but I can't also build a business at the same time. So that was a, honestly like a really creative solution that has been powerful. We're on our fourth season now. And we brought those seedlings together, those mentees and mentors together. And it's everything. Relationships are the most important thing. They sure are. We could not agree more with that. When it comes to this mentor, mentee, your Avenger team and so forth, this diversity of thought comes to mind. So one of the things that we spend some time talking about is not getting too internal, right? Always learning and speaking to the same people that give you the same thoughts and the same ideas that there is something to this diversity of thought, whether it's outside the beauty industry or inside of it. So how do you go about this diversity of thought and getting people from outside your pool to come in and give you recommendations, advice, or thoughts? It's probably one of the most important things is like, you got to put the Kool-Aid tab off. You're like, I can't keep drinking the Kool-Aid. It's very easy to drink the Kool-Aid and feel super in it. You know, part of... My life is creating structures outside of Crown Affair to support Crown Affair, but really looking outward. I feel very grateful. I have an incredible leadership coach that comes from a totally different world of like finance. And she calls me on my BS all of the time. So like having a partner and a venture on your team to be like, hey, let's talk about this. I need an outside perspective while still being empathetic and kind is really important. You know, my life partner, my husband, he is just a steady rock. He also works in a totally different industry and I think brings a lot of perspective to me when I need it. And I say this all the time and I can't credit him enough. We've been together actually for eight years as well. Him and Era, my mentor, I met basically at the same time and they both just like keep it real. So that cannot go unnoticed and starting a company is really hard and A lot of people will tell you it's a great idea, but the realist ones will be like, I have some opinions in a a positive way, but I, let's actually talk through this. So he's been really amazing about that and finding other outlets for me, like activity is huge and having a community that we do yoga and I have an accountability structure with someone around meditation and those practices, I think kind of take you out of the like, go, go, go of beauty. I'm also like not a beauty person. Like I'm so interested in so many other things that we have an amazing investor who's like been in the industry for 30 years and they're total experts around operations. And like, I keep them nearby to be like, what do you know? Cause I don't know this. How, what's your perspective on it? So I think just being an open person who knows that they don't know everything and I know what my superpowers are. There's like two of them and there's like a million things I don't know. So I'm just a really open person to feedback, criticism, that process of feedback. We actually did it in our last team offsite. Elaine, who's our president at Crown Affair, she put together this incredible presentation around feedback and you actually need to train people on feedback. I think knowing that very few people are really good managers and you don't know how to give feedback unless you're taught how to give feedback. So that to me, keeping that open conversation is critical internally and externally. Even having dissenters on your team, people that do poke holes in some of your thoughts or 
products or something else can really bring an amazing perspective. So having that diversity of thought and those dissenters, along with the people that obviously embrace your vision and all of those types of things can really add to the dimension of making for a successful company. So I love that idea. Sounds like you also went low and slow with your mentors and husband. Yes, yes, highly recommend it. Actually, that's what's so funny. The low and slow philosophy actually came as dating advice from my friend John. When I first met my husband, I told my friend, I was like, oh my God, I think I like really like this guy. Like I dated people before that I wasn't super I was like, this is fine, but whatever. And John was like, no one ever got mad at a slow simmer. And then we like listed all the things that are better low and slow, whether it's like cooking scrambled eggs or whatever. We're like, yeah, you heat up too quick, you can burn out quickly too. So I have held that motto near and dear for since he told it to me that day. It's so true, right? When you get some really great advice, how it really does play through, whether it's your professional life or your personal life and all of your different interests and hobbies. And I do think it's so important what you said about the fact that it is about being a kind of a whole person. I mean, you obviously are in beauty, you have an amazing growing company, but you have other outside interests. And because of that, those things pull into your inspiration, how you maybe can be more efficient or solve a problem differently. And I know in our lives, there's so many times where we'll look out and say, huh, yeah, let's go to that random trade show. It has nothing to do with beauty because there might be something inspiring. And we have, we've been inspired walking down a random street in Europe, looking at Christmas ornaments to come back and talk to a client about product. I mean, you never know what will kind of evolve yourself. And so I like the idea of being open and really being able to pull in your other interests, you know, and, and your outside, your whole person to be able to really deliver everything you need into your company. And creating time, I think for that too, is really hard to do, especially if you're like so busy in the day to day, like structuring, they're called like artist dates in the artist way, like creating that time to just freely think is so important. And I say this all the time. I mean, I do love beauty, obviously, and I read all the websites and the trade information, but whatever it is that you're going to at night and reading, like that's probably what you love, whether it's like watching comedy or reading sci-fi or going to museum, like gravitating towards those things enrich the work that you're doing in such a holistic way. So I totally agree. And if you weren't in beauty, what would you be doing? Oh my God, my dream in life, my like alternate sliding doors world is that I would have worked at Pixar. If I wasn't, I love beauty and fashion and I I needed to go to New York, but I do love animation, storytelling. And again, I think how you tell a story to change the way that people feel about themselves, whether the medium is animation or a beauty product, that to me is like, I just want to do that every day for the rest of my life. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. Denise, if I remember, I think yours was that you would be a horse trainer. What was yours if you were not in beauty? It was horse trainer slash horse broker because I'm a salesperson at heart. So I wanted to train them, sell them and make a lot of money. I love that. What about you, Jessica? What's your alternate life? Yeah, I think I actually would be a farmer. I really, I enjoy that. Get it up at the crack of dawn and you have the you know elements that need to get done and things grow and 
I would definitely be something touching the earth. My mom, actually, funny enough, is a, a flower farmer, so probably apple not too far from the tree. But um, yeah, I think I'd be a farmer. Pun intended. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> Pun intended. Well, what advice do you give other folks that are in the process of either starting something new or in that early stage, maybe even where you're at right now? What are some of the pieces of advice you've got for them? I always say this, and obviously Nike is very famous for this, but just do it. Just start. Even if you don't have the final product, Crown Affair literally started from conversations in a Google Doc, and that is how you build community. Whether you have a vision for a consumer product or a software platform, just get people together in whatever form that is and makes sense for you. You know, an email thread, a phone call, a Zoom meeting, a real life hang, a Google Doc, and just be like, here's an idea I have. Again, people want to be a part. People support what they're a part of creating. So the sooner you bring more people in, the more successful whatever it is that you're launching into the world will be. We couldn't agree more. Diana, thank you so much for your time today. If people listening wanted to get a hold of you or understand a little bit more about Seedling, how could they go about connecting with you or with Crown Affair? Yes. So I'm still a millennial and I love Instagram. So you can find us on Instagram. My personal one is Diana with two N's, Cohen. And then our Crown Affair one is just Crown Affair. Uh, you can also go to crownaffair.com. You can type in Seedling to search. There's a lot more information there, but I do love connecting anyone who's listening and you want to chat about beauty, Seedling, anything. I am very much here and so is our team. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us today and we look forward to seeing you succeed and become more successful and it's very exciting what you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you both. It was such a pleasure chatting with you guys today. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Beauty Is Your Business. If you would like to find Denise or myself, please feel free to reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can follow Buzz Beauty Hive on Instagram or come check out our diary on buzzbeauty.com and see what we're buzzing about this week. This has been Beauty Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.